Good to see you guys on this kind of stormy Sunday morning, Uh, but I think we'll see that that's actually kind of fitting for where we're going to go today. I'm glad that you're here with us. I want to say, uh, of course, I know it's already been mentioned, but we just want to say a big thank you to all the daddies in the room, all the fathers, whether you're here with us or whether you're joining us online. We celebrate you. We are grateful for you and uh, we're great. Yeah, go ahead. You should celebrate the dads. <laughs> it's funny how we'll do that on Mother's Day and it's like, yeah, let's do it. And on Father's Day, it's kind of like, I don't know. Should we clap? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We are grateful, but uh, we're even more grateful that we get the opportunity this morning to come and be in the presence of our Heavenly Father together. Amen. Well, today we are diving right back in. Uh, We're going to be turning. Uh, Anybody want to take a guess where in your Bible we're turning? There you go. First Samuel. You get a gold star. First Samuel where we are today. Continuing this walk through the life of David described as a man after God's own heart. Uh, Last week, we had the opportunity to, to pause and reflect a bit on how we should respond when we get the win in life, right? We, we saw in David's life how it was that he uh, behaved in a manner that was prudent, that he behaved wisely, as the text said. And and that when we do get the win, when something does go right in life, when we feel like, uh, man, I just nailed that. You ever have one of those days before? I know we usually have more of the other kind of day, but have you ever had one of those days where you're like, man, that was it. I nailed it today. How is it that we can look at the life of David and see a manner in which we should respond. And of course, we saw that when we do have that moment, that it's not up to us to sing our own praises, that that's not behaving wisely, that that's not being prudent in in our response to victory in life. Because the thing is, actions speak for themselves. And not only that, but we should allow others who, who witness that, let them sing the praises because it carries more weight, more gravity anyway. And ultimately, we wrapped up last week talking about how there are going to come times of resistance after a win. But today, we're going to move a little bit further. And we are, uh, as you all already astutely observed, going to be back in 1 Samuel. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. Uh, those of you joining us online, you can do the same. Just click the tab up there at the top, 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to read about five verses together. Once you got it, if you'll just let me know, say, got it, Nate. Got it, Nate. Fantastic. Let's read these first five verses of 1 Samuel 22 together. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, in the Hebrew, Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, They went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him, meaning David. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab and said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you. Till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then 
The prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went in to the forest of Hereth. Now, to give you some background, I know you're already going, wow, we, we moved through a few, few chapters really quickly there, didn't we? So I do want to give you some background. Maybe if you haven't been with us uh, this whole time as we've walked through David's life, or maybe just give you the background of what happened between last week and this week. So what's going on? So far, we've seen David go from shepherd boy to psalmist and poet in the palace. He's gone from there to giant killer to high-ranking military strategist. And the time in between where we left off last week and where we come to today, uh, we'll also find that he has now won the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage, which is a fascinating story because the only way that he was able to... So yes, in case you didn't catch that, he's now Saul, the guy who tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. He's now his son-in-law. That's a healthy family dynamic, isn't it? Anyway, so the way that worked out was fascinating because the whole way that he won Saul's daughter's hand was that Saul said, fine, if you want to marry my daughter, then you're going to have to go off and you're going to have to collect a certain anatomical component of a hundred Philistines. Now, those of you going, why does he say it like that? You have clearly not read the story. And I would encourage you to go back and read it again. Those of you who are kind of giggling are like, I don't know why he's saying it like that because there's kids in the room. Kids, go home and ask your parents about those hundred things, okay? Anyway, I'm just here to be a blessing. Uh, Callie, don't do it. Uh, so he says, you've got to go collect a hundred of these. The reason he does that is Saul feels certain that David will get killed on this mission. David comes back from the mission and he doesn't just have a hundred of those things. He brings back 200 and he made a necklace out of them. That's messed up. Anyway, enjoy that. At this point, the people love David. The text says repeatedly in those chapters, he goes out and he comes in before them, which is a way of saying he had great rapport with the people. This infuriates Saul. Now to the point where it's not just a casual uh, swelling of anger in Saul's heart that he decides to throw a spear when he has it. Now we know for a fact that Saul has actually set out a full-on plot to have David killed. Saul gathers together members of his cabinet, of, of his court, and he says, this is how we're going to take David out. I'm done with this. So, the time has now come where we go from this great victory, we go from pushing back in the face of resistance to now David has to be on the run. And he's on the run with the help of Jonathan, his good friend, Saul's son. He's on the run with the help of his wife, Saul's daughter. He's on the run with the help of Samuel and many others. He is a fugitive. And now we come to the place where he has just finished the performance of a lifetime, feigning insanity before Achish, king of Gath. Now, the reason he has to do that is because there's a song. Y'all remember the song? Saul has slain his and David his 
ten thousands. That song is now a chart topper in Gath. And everybody knows it. And so they're like, hey, I know this song. And these ladies sang it. And I'm pretty sure that's the guy. So David has to fake insanity so that he doesn't get caught by the king of Gath. He doesn't want to get recognized and turned over to King Saul. And now here we find David in the caves of Adullam. The caves of Adullam, dark, confusing. What do I do now? What's interesting, I want you to take note of this, is even the path that had to be taken here. What we see that, uh, if I enlarge it here just a little bit, we see that from Gath to Adullam, this would have been the path that was actually taken. Now, something worth noting that I don't want us to miss is that in order to get from Gath to Adullam, look at where David had to travel. In order to make this journey, it is very likely he would have traveled right through the Valley of Elah. For those of you that say, I'm not sure what that means. I refresh my memory. I don't get it. That the Valley of Elah is the very place where we see just a few chapters before that David defeated the giant Goliath. So as he is on the run as a fugitive and he heads to a hideout in the cave of Adullam, he has to go through the very place that reminds him of one of his most recent and greatest victories. And now he's here in a cave, dark, confusing, yes, in the natural. But imagine the state of his spirit in this moment. Imagine what his mind must be going through. Imagine the emotion. It's not just that it was physically dark and confusing. It it was emotionally, spiritually, say it with me, dark and confusing. Overwhelming even. A, a, A place where now the question swirls through his mind. What do I do now? And today... We get to once again learn from the life of David. You are not David. Everybody say, I am not David. There we go. There's that reminder. But we can learn from David. We, we can see some symbolism here that's, that's worth drawing from the text. And we can see some principles for us to understand as we examine David's life and come to understand that it's even in those moments that God works and moves, that it's even in your cave places that God will show up, that he will do a work, perhaps completely unexpected, That he'll teach you something. That he'll show you something. That he'll give you an opportunity or an assignment. And that's what we get to witness here in the life of David. And what what I hope that we can glean from his life today are just a few things. And the first is this. Is that even in your cave places, God will send those you need. We can have that kind of confidence. Like, what are you talking about? Look at verse 1 with me. In verse 1, we read that David departed from there, meaning Gath, and he heads down and escapes to the cave of Adullam. And when, who? Say it with me. Who? I know, y'all, it's hard, isn't it? You wake up on a Sunday morning like this, and it's rainy outside, and you just hear that low, rumbly thunder, and you're just like... 
And then you come to church because you are the committed. You are that. And you, you just want to be in it, but you hear that rain still and that little roll of thunder. And you're like, his voice is so soothing. Right? I get it. And when? There we go. And all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him. Now, it is amazing to me that we see this principle not just in David's life, but we see it in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of Abraham. We see it in the prophet Jonah. We see it as we move into the New Testament in the life of John Mark. We see it in the life of Saul who became the apostle Paul over and over. We see this principle played out and it is this, that when we position ourselves in a passionate pursuit of God, when we go after his heart, It never fails that during those difficult seasons, he will bring the people we need most. You're like, amen. You said it, Nate. Move on to the next point. No, I will not. Because what's interesting, the real kicker is that he'll bring those you need. Meaning he'll often reconnect you with the least likely of people in order to accomplish his will. Like, what are you talking about? Think about it. Of all the people to come to David in this time of difficulty, his brothers and his father's house, y'all aren't tracking. This is the same father that forgot he had an eighth son. Hey, David, how you doing? Here to be a blessing. And I'm not throwing shade. I know we've all been there before. We've all forgotten our child had some afternoon event at school and we didn't show up until the teacher called us and said, are you coming to get this child? I get it. I'm not trying to say anything awful about Jesse, but he did forget. This is the father who attended a parade for the anointing of the next king whom he left tending the sheep. Okay, how about this? How about this? What about that one? His brother's. His brothers, who's counted in that lot, Eliab, one of the same brothers who just a a few chapters before we read was so upset with David for going to take on Goliath that he accused him of being conceited and said, your quote, heart is filled with evil. That's who shows up. So before you're like, yes, praise the Lord, when I'm going through a difficult season, when I'm in a cave place, God is going to send me who I need. Make sure you understand, God is going to send you who you need. Might not be who you want. Might not be who you expected. Might be someone that's clear out of the blue. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. To be clear, many in many respects, they came because they too were being hunted because they were associated with David. But... As theologian, commentary writer, pastor John Gill notes, catch this, they went down to him to visit, to comfort, to counsel, to assist him all that they could. Completely unexpected in this moment, in this pain and crisis, I can't help but think David might have seen them coming and his first words might have been, what are y'all doing here? I... I didn't expect to see you. I can remember years ago, uh, I was in a time in ministry that 
if, I guess if I'm honest, what I thought I needed was to know how to lead the church better. What I found out that I needed was I needed to know how to lead myself better. Um, and it was one of those things that in order to walk out discipleship and learn about uh, more about church ministry and how to love people well and lead them well, but like I said, finding out that I actually had some stuff in my own life I needed to work through, I joined this uh, coaching network for pastors specifically. Uh, it was a counseling cohort of sorts. Anyway, I showed up for this on the first day. Um, it was uh, taking place in Atlanta. I drove down. There were only 12 of us. It wasn't like this big conference thing. It was a group, like, let, let's get together and really work through these things and pray for one another. And I showed up on that first, uh, it was a Thursday. And I walked in the room, and from about, Tim, from about me to you, I see this face, and I'm like, Immediately, I recognized it. And I thought, well, that can't be right. Because the face that I recognized, uh, uh, the guy I was thinking of, his name was Brian Bradshaw. And Brian and I had done ministry together about 10, maybe even 15 years before. I can't remember how long it was. But it was a long time before. We had only been doing ministry together for a short time. It was a couple of years. That was it, two years maybe. I walk in and I see his face again about that far. And I went, is that Brian? And I walked up to him, and he walked up to me, and we both had that look, you know? You know the look you get when you're kind of like... Because what I knew of Brian is he had actually left the ministry. Uh, he was an excellent golfer. He had become a golf pro at one of the courses down in the Charlotte Lake Wiley area. And uh, he was a golfer. So I didn't, I'm thinking, what is this guy doing here? He sees me, and he's like, Nate! I said, man, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm back in ministry. He said, I'm actually a, an executive pastor, and I think they're setting me up to be the next lead pastor. I said, you are kidding me. And so we sit there and we start talking, and what I found is that God had divinely orchestrated this because in that moment, what was so great is we became a real source of encouragement for one another. I, I think I received more encouragement than Brian did, but in those moments sitting with him, we got to reminisce. Hear me, catch this please. We got to reminisce about the two, two and a half years we did ministry together way back then, and we got to celebrate. Hey, do you remember when God did this? Hey, do you remember when God did this? Now, mind you, 10, 15 years earlier, in the midst of it, I wasn't thinking it was God a whole lot. I was just tired. I was poorly paid. And I was doing way more than I needed to be doing. But now, we were able to look back and go, do you remember when? And here's what was so amazing. In the season I was in in life and ministry, it was sitting with this unexpected person that I needed that I was able to look back at what God had done. And all of a sudden, I felt like, I felt myself renewed and refreshed and excited about what God might do next. That's who I needed, not who I expected. I can tell you this, Brian's actually one of the, I've talked about Mark before and I've talked about uh, Stacy, some of those guys in my life. Brian, I've never really missed. Brian's another one of the reasons we ended up here. Because I called him, I was like, man, what do I do? He said, let's just pray together. And he gave me the advice. He said, hey, man, why don't you just hop on the train, ride it till it gets to the next station and see if you keep going. So we ended up here. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, no. Happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, I'm just saying that's who he became in my life. 
right here in this moment as David is holed up in a cave. Hear me. God knew who David needed. Not what David needed. Not who David wanted. He knew who David needed. God knew David's family, his brothers and his fathers, would be able to say, do you remember that time God helped you kill a lion and a bear before anyone had ever heard the word king and David in the same sentence? God knew that David's family, this, these unexpected individuals, would be the ones that could say, we were there the day you were anointed king, and we know what's coming next. They were the ones that could say, do you remember when God let you defeat a giant? That Eliab, oh, Eliab could have been the one that said, David, don't you remember when I wouldn't even go out to the battlefield and you did? Because God knew who David needed. And as a side note, this isn't in the text. I just want to throw it out because I think it's important. It's one of those things God kind of stirred in my heart and my spirit as I was reading this. The note is this, we should be careful about how we deal with those people that at times in our lives, we want to hastily write them off as I don't need you. Because the very person who previously, it seemed as though they misunderstood you, may be the only person who understands you in your cave place. The very person who previously disliked you might be the very person who becomes a voice of encouragement and support in your darkest moment when no one else will. The lesson is this. Don't cut loose where God just intended for you to create space. I'm just going to be very... I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't even know how to describe it. We're really good in America at burning bridges. You do me wrong one time. Burn, baby, burn, disco inferno. We will shut down a relationship like that. And listen, there are times, there are places when God says, hey, you need to go ahead and say, this is done. But I think more often than not, what we need to understand is there are times when God is calling us to create space where we're quick to cut loose. Where God is saying, create some, hey, let's be honest. Uh, listen, Matt, here's the thing. If, if someone comes up to you this Sunday and says, I think you're conceited and your heart is filled with evil, you're probably going to create some space pretty naturally. <laughs> Hopefully not with your hands, but you're going to create some space. That's okay, but let's not be so quick to say, I'm done with someone when God says, I might need to use them in the future. Y'all with me? Let's move on. God will send in your cave places those you need. Here's the real kicker though. In your cave places, God will send those who need you. What? Come on. I sent out invitations to my pity party, and that's who I want to attend. I don't want people who come into my life when I'm going through something that need me. And yet, look at what happened. We see David. He goes to the cave. Look what happens in verse 2. And everyone who was in distress. Everybody say, everyone. everyone. 
that was not everyone saying everyone. I need everyone to say everyone in order for us to move on to the next everyone. Everyone say everyone. everyone. That was it. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David and he became their chief. Are you kidding me? This is hilarious. And I don't mean in the ha ha sort of way. I mean in the you got to be kidding me sort of way. In this moment, everyone who came to David was in distress. They were in debt. They were discontent. Now, here's the thing. Let's break this down for a minute so we really get the full depth of what's happening here. Okay? First of all, we have those who were distressed. Those who were distressed. Now we hear that, and some of us think, I'm driving on 41 during season, and I'm catching every red light, and I've got the sweetest, just kindest, but slowest old couple in front of me. And we think to ourselves, I'm distressed, right? But please understand this. We, we've got to get the depth, the beauty, and, and the expansiveness of the Hebrew language in these contexts. Those distressed literally refers to those in anguish and great pain. Not those who are just like, man, I'm kind of stressed out. It literally refers to those who are in such anguish and great pain that it actually becomes a disability to them. That it cripples them. What they've gone through, what they're facing emotionally, physically, mentally, they're just tortured. Think of it more as someone that, that in, in, in our time, we might refer to these who came to David as people who were perhaps even wrestling with something like PTSD. That's what was going on. This is not just, oh, I can't get to Culver's fast enough. <laughs> this is deep anguish. They were distressed. It was those who were in debt. Now, again, here we need to understand that, yes, to some degree, it was those who just had an exchange uh, with another individual and they, they owed something. That was the case. But again, there, there's an implication, there's an underlying uh, understanding within the context, within uh, the language that, that says it's possible that what we're seeing here was those who were in debt were those who owed something as a result of deceit. So this, this wasn't necessarily just that someone went to Best Buy and bought too many TVs and computers on their credit card and now they needed to pay it off. These were people who very likely were promised one thing and were delivered another. And yet now they were indebted because of the deceit that had taken place. They were burned. So it was those distressed, those in debt, and those discontented is what many translations say. I actually like how we read it there in the ESV a moment ago. Because again, when we think of the word discontent, we tend to think of uh, not being happy with something. I am discontent with the decision that was made in my workplace. I'm discontent with how the teacher handled this with my child. I'm, I'm discontent with how my child handled this with my teacher. Might ought to go back to that in our culture. I am discontent. I'm just preaching something else. That's on the side. You can take notes and do with it what you want. I am discontent with how this vote went or how this thing went. We think of being unhappy. But again, this discontent, I love the way the ESV translates it and many others, was a deep bitterness entangled in the heart and soul. 
This, Erica, this, this wasn't just like I'm upset. This was I've become so consumed by bitterness that I can't even look at life the same way anymore. Everything has a negative spin. Everything's wrong. You ever met one of those people before? Ever been one of those people before? That they, they just It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter what you have to say. They're like Debbie Downer, you know. That's who comes to David. How fantastic is that? This is the crew, about 400 of them, we have recorded for us in 1 Samuel 22. These are the ones that come to David, and David becomes their captain. What a motley crew. Just a hot mess of weirdos and whack jobs. They show up and David becomes their captain. And again, what's really cool is, is the deeper indication in the word sar. We, we, we see this word come up a lot. We even see it used when we talk about the Messiah who would come that was our prince of peace. So we see this word show up. But that word sar, it means captain, it means chief, it means commander, it means ruler. But it also carries with it overseer and steward. So, so you have the understanding, don't, don't just get stuck on commander, don't just get stuck on chief. We also see that that word means overseer and steward. So hear me, in other words, God gave these people to David to steward well. And God, as he gave the people to David, gave David to these people in order not that he might lord it over them, but that he might look out for them. That he might shape and mold and, and guide and protect them. And God brings these people to David, even in his cave place. Now that is powerful, but it's really difficult if we're honest. Because let's not forget, David is in a doozy of a situation at this point. He's got a hit out on his life, bounty on his head. He's living in a cave, no more palace amenities. The only people who will hang out with him are these guys. And at this particular juncture in David's life, life has a bit of a foul aroma to it, if you know what I mean. And yet we see that he embraced them. He became commander over them. And even with his own family, we read in verse 3 that in this cave place, David went from there to Moab and said to the king of Moab, will you let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me? Now let's be real for a minute. I had been David. and I was in this situation. It might have crossed my mind I cannot deal with all of you people right now. I've got my own nonsense to take care of. Mom, Dad, I'm glad you came to offer some encouragement. And I'm glad you came to say that Saul's out for you now. I don't know what to do. I don't know what you expect from me. I love you, but ain't nobody got time for that. I can't worry about you. I've got enough worries of my own. My hands are full can anybody say amen? amen. That, that 
very well might have been the way you would respond. It's hard to think of what David did here. How he embraced these people. When for us, we would look at it and go, my hands are full. I have shared this story before. I shared it several years ago right here. Um, But it's one of those stories that's such a beautiful picture, it's worth repeating. So if you heard it before, this is like the rerun, okay? If you've heard it before, you're just getting to watch again. If you haven't heard it before, uh, I, I think that this would give us a really beautiful picture of what's happening here. When our family was young, and I mean before my two youngest were even born, it was just me, Mama Sita, and uh, Benjamin. And when our family was young, I was also, I was working two jobs. I was a full-time pastor, and I was also a full-time senior copywriter for a church products company, a national church products company. I was doing both of those jobs at the same time. But I was blessed to have a boss there that allowed me to come in earlier than the office really opened so I could leave earlier, and I got to pick up my son every day from school, which was one of my favorite things. And so I would go to the school where he was going and where Michelle was working, and I would pick him up from preschool and kindergarten, and then that changed as the others came into our life. Uh, but I would go and pick him up from school, and what would happen on Mondays is we had in our schedule that Mama Sita would have made out a grocery list, and then we would head to Ingles, which was our grocery store up there in Western North Carolina. And just the two of us would walk through the aisles and pick out everything on Mama Sita's list and maybe a few other things as well. But we would walk through, and then we would get home, and we would unload the groceries so they would be ready for her when she came home to fix dinner for everybody. And I can remember on one occasion, it was very early on, that we got home and I had just a load of stuff in my hands, some work stuff, some of my church stuff, uh, and I had a bunch of bags of groceries, just kind of, you know how it is. Guys, Father's Day, we can relate. You just load them up on your arm and see how many you can get in. So I had a whole bunch of those I'm carrying. And I said to Benjamin, who at this time was like five years old, I said, hey, buddy, would you grab a bag or two for daddy and help me out? And he says, okay, dad. In his little voice, and I miss so much. And I turned to look back to make sure maybe he hadn't grabbed, you know, those flimsy plastic bags. They're the worst. Make sure he didn't grab one that maybe had a jar of sauce or something that was going to break. And when I turned to look back, what I expected was very different from what I saw. Because at this point, he had just gotten his brand new backpack had his little parachute man on the back and his little initials and his lunchbox. The thing was so big, it hit him about right here when he carried it around. But he had his brand new backpack and when he got in the car, he had an art project that he was just, dad, look at the art project I did. He was so proud of it. He had these, these two pieces in the car. So I had expected to look back and find that maybe he had grabbed a bag or two and I just wanted to make sure he was good. But when I turned around, what I found still to this day hits me. Not so much because it was just my son, but because it was this picture. I turned around and what I found is that treasured piece of artwork and the bag with all of his stuff that he had been carrying, he had removed, laid down on the garage floor, and he was carrying an armful of groceries. I said, buddy, you you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to put down all of your stuff. You didn't have to put down your bag. His response still echoes 
in my mind and heart to this day. It's okay, Daddy. I needed to help you with your stuff. Church, what if we got that? Even in our darkest, most difficult moments, what if we got that? Because I'm just going to be real honest with you. I won't lean in too hard. I felt it kind of in my spirit this morning, but I was like, ah, you got to be careful. I love you. I don't mean anything ugly. I'm just saying this. It's, the na- it's human nature, right? It's me too. Many times in the church, we only come to talk when we want to get. Many times in the church, we only show up a small group when we need a rent bill paid. Many times in the church, we only connect when we think that, hey, I need to get, we, we go to a church because we feel like we get, we get, we get. And listen, all those things are good. I'm not trying to throw any sort of, of disregard or disrespect on those. But what if, what if in the church, we started to get in a mindset less of what can I do to get someone to help carry my bags? And instead, like this little boy and like David, we said, maybe, maybe I can lay down my stuff and help you pick up yours and as I lighten your load God will lighten mine what if we got that in the church what if we understood what David understood here and all he's going through he says I'm going to take care of my family can you look out for them and all he's going through he embraced this role as leader of these people laying it aside willing to carry the weight of them of another And that right there, that could change everything for us and for them. Because here's what's interesting. It's listed there that there were 400 who came to David. 400 in debt, discontent, and distressed. What's really interesting is if you lead a little bit further in the story, and we'll get to this eventually, there's a group of men, about 400 of them, referred to as David's mighty men of valor. Do you realize that it is very likely that the same group that started out distressed, discontented, and in debt, that because David said, I will help you carry your burden, they became mighty men of valor that ended up helping David carry a far greater weight in the future? Are y'all with me this morning? What, What if we got that? Which leads us to the last thing, and I'll close. Even in your cave places. God will send those you need. God will send those who need you. But most importantly, God will send the word you need. He will speak. 1 Samuel 22, verse 5 says that after all of this took place, after David embraced, I'm going to lead these people, after David took care of his family and said, I need somewhere for them to be while I'm going through this, After that, the what? Prophet Gad, the mouthpiece of the Lord, the one who would speak the things of God, the prophet Gad says to David, do not remain in the stronghold. Please catch that. Circle it, underline it, something. Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herod. David at this point was doing his absolute best to stay off of the grid. 
he was hopeful that these caves would provide him protection, refuge, safety. In fact, the very place he had chosen to hold up Adullam translates sealed off place. How many of us, that's exactly what we do when we face difficult seasons in our life. We think that the best solution is to go to a sealed off place. In our mindset, in our strategizing, in our planning, we're like, well, maybe, maybe if I just go, uh, go here, maybe I can find some refuge over there just alone, away from all of it. Maybe I can find some safety there alone from all of it. Here's the thing about spending all your time in a dark cave alone. It creates a lot of doubt. You start talking in your own head. You may say, well, you, that's where the enemy whispers to. Yes, true. But a lot of times, I don't think the enemy has to come in. We're messed up enough on our own. We just start whispering in our own minds. And we start creating all these doubts and these concerns. And we start questioning whether or not God is actually doing anything. And in those cave places, it feels really silent. And it feels kind of quiet. And we start wondering, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. God... I, I don't feel like I hear you. Here's what, how many of you have ever been on the road before and you're, you're going on a trip? And I always love using an illustration with like GPS or directions or stuff because it works well. How many of you have ever been on a trip before and you go on this one stretch of road where your GPS gets really quiet for a long time? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you, because it's quiet, what do you start doing? You keep looking at it. Did I miss a turn? Is something... What's wrong with this thing? It's not talking. I don't, I don't know what to do here. here. Here's what's fascinating about that. Many times, it's, it's in those cave places that we feel very similar to one of those long stretches of road. And, and it's on those long stretches of road that we oftentimes find ourselves in that state of doubt because we don't feel like we're hearing enough. Well, we feel like it's, it's just too quiet. And here's the thing. What we need to understand is this. The silence just means it's not time for the next turn. The silence just means it's not time for the next thing. But here's the great part that, that I recently discovered. Some of y'all more tech savvy than myself probably already understood this. But the great part is that when you're making a journey like this, even in the stretch where it feels like it's silent, what's great is all you have to do is just reach up and touch. Head southeast on Green Street toward Midway Boulevard, then turn right onto Midway Boulevard. And it'll give you the same instruction again. And you keep driving on that stretch and you're like, gosh, I'm feeling kind of nervous. I'm feeling kind of freaked out. I don't know what to do. Here's what's great. It just means the silence means it's not time for the next turn. But if you're feeling unsure, just reach up and touch. Head southeast on Green Street toward Midway Boulevard. Then turn right onto Midway Boulevard. And it'll tell you the same thing again to reassure you, to remind you that even in those difficult times, even in those cave places, God will bring the words you need. At just the right time. And if you feel like it's too quiet, just reach out. Just touch. He'll say, hey, stay where you are. Do what you do until I tell you otherwise. 
It's exactly what we see right here. And this is what's beautiful. Let me read this to you. And this will be it. I promise you all like, we need to go. This is, he's just preaching. It's just, he's going to keep going. He's even reading new portions of the scripture today. Listen to this. Psalm 57. It is believed by almost every single scholar that it was very likely that Psalm 57, penned by David, was written while he was in this cave. The prophet Gad comes and speaks to David. Listen to these words. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah, praise. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. But be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. That's what he writes. You know why? Because in that moment, David has a word. Don't stay in this stronghold. Leave now and go to Judah. But the word wasn't just that. David outlines what the word was in Psalm 57. In the shadow of your wings, I will take my refuge. It was as that word came to David that I believe it's very possible that this revelation hit his heart, his mind, and his very spirit. And that is, your refuge is not this place. It is a person. God, who is there with you, even in your cave places. So what do we do this week? I encourage you, in your cave place, look around. Who is God sending to you? Who is God sending to you? Maybe someone really unexpected that you're going, I don't know where they came. I don't know why they're back in my life all of a sudden. Maybe. Maybe it's because of what you're going. Because some of you, you're last week. Some of you, you just came off a great win. Some of you, this, this today is where you are. Who's God sending you? Who's God sending you not just to be an encouragement to you, but who is God sending that he's saying, hey, why don't, why don't you cast off your burdens? As we read in Peter, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Why don't you help them with their weight and I'll take care of yours? Who's he sending that you may need to take care of in this season? And what is God speaking to you? I don't feel like he's saying anything. Keep reaching out. Keep touching. Keep making that investment to others and then wait and see. 
Because there is a word, the very word that you need for what's next. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time with one another. But more importantly, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in this place. And as we leave here on this calendar day celebrating fathers, I pray that our mind's attention and heart's affection would be fixed on thee, Father. That we would leave from here, no matter what we're facing in this life, a great victory or a cave, that we would have the confidence that you are with us. We love you. We praise you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you, as always, as you go, if you want to know about taking your next move here, uh, maybe it's how you can serve. Maybe it's more about Movement Church, what we believe, how you can get involved, how you can know who we are. Uh, scan that code. At, maybe for you, in recent weeks, we've had several of you say yes to Jesus and begin that relationship with him. Maybe your next step is baptism, making that faith public. Scan that code at the very least. Reach out to us. Uh, let us know. Grab somebody at the information desk, one of us on this team, and we'd be happy to celebrate with you. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.